Episode 16 of the Eyes Habit Podcast with your hosts, Greg Hershey and me, Chris Blessing. We have a very interesting show lined up for you today. Uh, we are actually taping this on Thursday uh, after Brent got, a, got some looks last night at some prospects and to allow me to go on my work trip and not have to worry about recording a podcast. So uh, this is uh, going to be an interesting show, but it's going to be jam-packed with a lot of great information on Blue Jays prospects, Indians prospects, and we might even sneak in a Yankees prospect. Uh, Brett, how are you doing today? Doing well, Chris. Uh, week's gone good. Um, looking forward to, to uh, breaking down these looks from uh, the past couple of days, and uh, I think we'll have some uh, helpful insights for everyone this week, as usual. Yes, I, I hope so too. I I have not had the best week. Uh, I ended up uh, when we were recording this podcast uh, last week, which I inadvertently called episode sixteen. But I'll, I'll kind of explain that uh, a little later. I ended up having either food poisoning or the stomach flu. Uh, oh. so throughout the recording on Monday. And Brent can attest to this. I was like scattered brain. I couldn't remember things. I had to stop several times. I wasn't. I wasn't myself. And I thought, okay, maybe it's my blood sugar. But I don't think it was my blood sugar. I think that I was uh, getting the early effects of that. Thankfully, I've been tested for COVID, and I've uh, passed those tests twice. I'm, I'm with flying colors, I guess. Uh, but uh, my whole week of going to baseball has been drowned out because of my sickness and also because of a issue with the Tennessee Smokies, uh, which when this comes out, the Smokies will be starting their next week. But uh, right now they are not playing because they have their own COVID-19 issues. So uh, it will be interesting next week because they were playing the lookouts and, you know, that's four games that the lookouts won't have. So. I don't know what the lookouts are going to be like next week, and I don't know how that's going to shape up for uh, when the AA White Sox come to town, which is a team I need to see. I just hope, Brent, that you don't have those same issues up there that we have, unfortunately, down here in the South. Not yet in the baseball world that I know of, but it is uh, it is pervasive, that's for sure, everywhere. And uh, I'm with you. I'm kind of <laughs> wish we could... <laughs> Wish we could all move past it. Um, and uh, yeah, sorry for you that that. Uh, well, I'm happy that you didn't have it, but I'm sorry that it affected uh, your game schedule this week for sure. I, I'm not really sad about it. Just uh, I'm sad. You know, I don't want anybody to be affected by COVID-19, but I'm not really sad about missing out on a game uh, uh, tomorrow night because I really. Like that stomach flu really kicked my butt. Uh, I think it's the first time that I've missed not writing articles. Uh, took the podcast several several days to get edited. It actually hit me right while I was editing uh, the mm. podcast, right in the middle of uh, like right before I got to Rob Gordon, who was our guest last week. It was maddening. Uh, that's all I can say. It was it was the worst twenty four hour bug I've ever had, and it took me. This is day. 
two of the recovery and it's still uh at least i have my wits about me now so yeah. i think that's a great place to transition onto a one news and note item that we're going to talk about and that is uh at, since he's come back from the disabled list toronto blue jays i don't know if he's still a prospect or he, he graduated but nate pearson who we've talked about on on an episode of the eyes have a podcast already uh, is now working out of the pen. Uh, since he's come back, he has pitched four innings. Uh, he's given up one hit, which was a home run to Albert Almora Jr. He uh, has walked two uh, and has looked a lot better, looked like a future dominant uh, late-inning reliever at times. Uh, I think that some command might need to be tweaked, but I think now we're – you know, and I've talked about this on this show, and I've talked about this at First Pitch Arizona, which, uh, you know, registration is available on uh, BaseballHQ.com for. Pearson just looks to me like a relief pitcher, and it's hard for me to see now, uh, and especially if he comes up and helps the Blue Jays uh, to a wild card slot. I don't know if you can bring him back to the rotation. What do you think, Brent? I mean, I think that's, you know, that's always been the kind of question with Pearson, especially uh, given the kind of rash of injuries that he's had um, over the past years trying to trying to stay healthy. I mean, I know these teams always with these kind of guys with questions, they always try to give them a chance to to uh, develop as a starter because, uh, you know, in the bigger picture, that's a that's a higher, you know, gives, gives, gives them a better return, uh, develop these guys as starters. But I think, you know, in someone like Pearson, uh, in a case like this, uh, it may well be that, that he goes, uh, bullpen and, and it's, you know, it sounds like we're seeing that, uh, now, I mean, the, the, the trick of course will, will be, or the, you know, the main point will be, um, even if he does come up and kind of helps them get in a wild card or, or win some games or, or be effective at the very least, uh, between now and the end of the season, what does, what status does that put him for 2022? Um, will they try to transition him back to the starter or do they say, um, you know, this, this role worked well and, uh, we're going to, we're going to keep you here at this point. I'm very interested in it, especially considering who's in their pen already and who's on the injured list uh, who should be back next year. Uh, I really feel like if he's in the pen, it it would very much affect. And then, of course, we don't know about player movement. We don't know what how things would work, but it would very much affect his immediate value because yeah. I don't see him in their organization being – anything more than like a six-inning guy or maybe a seventh-inning guy. So in a saves-plus-hold league or just a hold league, maybe that works. Uh, uh, but really the only thing you're getting out of him would be the strikeouts, which, you know, we all love in fantasy, and uh, especially if you have relief pitching slots. I mean, that's uh, um, your K rate can get improved quickly with a Nate yeah. Pearson with his fastball-slider mix. But, you know... Long term, though, 
I think it just bodes well. Like, I feel like I can project him now if if that is the role that he ends up uh, excelling in. I feel like I can project him now and maybe hold on to him in, you know, maybe in a in a league that, let's say, you've got a pitcher that you can, you know, slot into a minor's reserve slot uh, for 200 innings. Like, he'd be a great hold in a league like that. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'll be honest, I went out and I tried to acquire him. When I saw him working in the pen, I was hoping that the other manager thought the same way. It was like, or thought the way that I thought he would think. It's like, oh, my God, he's a he's a reliever now. And uh, but then again, in that league, it's not a it's not an expert league. It's a it's one of my home leagues. And they all know that I, they all don't like trading with me because uh, they claim I have all this inside information. But like, the, it, 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 I don't, I don't on this guy. I don't have inside information. I have no contacts in the Blue Jays organization. I just feel like it's, it's a value buy for me uh, yeah. in that format. But in other formats, I, I don't know. I say sell right now. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I think there's still, uh, I think I might be more optimistic than you um, that there could be something there that would develop into a, you know, a back of the rotation, a back, excuse me, back of the bullpen guy. You know, he certainly has the velocity and the sort of wicked, you know, mid 80s slider that, you know, he could pretty much just focus on. Um, I think similar to developing as a starting pitcher, assuming he stays as a reliever, the thing that's going to make the difference is, is tightening up his command some, um, you know, we know even guys, you know, can be moved off of the rotation into the pen because, uh, of command issues, but then you just can't take everybody and throw them in there. You still have to, can't be putting runners on base with, you know, with, um, in big numbers when, uh, when you're in relief either, you know, the almost a hundred mile an hour fastball and the slider, I think could, could with, improved command could uh could you know he could factor in into that blue jays back end of the bullpen you know maybe not right away but uh some point down the road well i mean i agree with that too but like i'm looking at the potential for their debt chart next year and that's what i'm looking at maybe it might even make more sense this year but like i look you know kirby yates is going to be supposedly back uh and then they're paying him to be their closer you have jordan romano there who is closing out games right now. And then yeah. you have uh, Julian Mayweather, who's been on the 60-day DL, but he's coming back. He's on a rehab assignment right now. So, like, with those three in there, that's a that's a very good trio right there. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. the way I'm looking at it right now is, you know, I think Brad Hand's on a one-year deal. He's pitched horribly for the Blue Jays since he's come over yeah. there. Uh, I, I just, I mean, I'm looking at it, in this way, if you don't have the ability to hold this guy once he loses his minor status, once he loses his prospect status, then like, I mean, it, it just becomes kind of a wasted slot. And so that's why I'm saying telling people to, you know, if if your league doesn't really allow to hold this guy beyond, uh, you know, like my league says 200 innings and I can a reliever. Uh, you know, Pearson doesn't have that many innings right now, even as a starter. I can, I can hold on to that guy for a long time. So, uh, you know, I do agree with you. This guy is a late inning reliever. I just, 
And, and if you look at the Blue Jays this year, they've had a lot of injuries to that pen, uh, to mm-hmm. that whole whole team. I mean, every every team's had it this year, but uh, you know, the only one that has stayed mostly healthy, and I think he went down for a little bit earlier, is uh, Romano. Uh, you know, we never saw Yates this year, which we thought we would not. I don't think we really were that encouraged uh, seeing him at any point this year. But like Merriweather was was dominating earlier this year, and you yeah. know he got injured. So and there's a slew of other guys uh, that have been in their pen that have been injured this year. So you know it's an interesting discussion, and uh, you know I look forward to seeing how that works out uh, for the Blue Jays. Well, uh, we're now to the lives looks segment, or as we call it this week, the Brent Hershey segment. Uh, Given that my sickness didn't allow me to get out to the park on Wednesday, as I planned to do, uh, Brent was able to see a slew of Indians and a couple Yankees prospects. Uh, We'll talk about one of those Yankees prospects, of course, but we'll actually lead off with the starting pitcher from the Indians organization. He's a pitcher that Cleveland drafted last year in the second round, and his name is Logan T. Allen. Uh, he is the Logan Allen that's, they're not related, but there's multiple Logan Allens in, there's actually three Logan Allens currently active in minor league ball, but two of them are pitchers in the Cleveland organization. I think the other one's in the Rays organization, he's a position player. Tell us what you thought about Logan Allen, uh, the double A pitcher, not the one that appeared in the major leagues this year. Yeah, I got to see Allen last night for the leading the Akron club against uh, Somerset. As you mentioned, he's a second rounder in 2020. Um, kind of has a medium build. He's listed at 6'0, 190. Um, and it was, it was quite, it was quite an interesting scout. I mean, I, I saw, you know, a pitcher basically on the mound last night in the sense that, you know, here was a guy that didn't have one super offering uh, when you would look at his pitches individually uh, but, you know, but through some deception, uh, a lot of command and a very uh, high kind of pitch efficiency, uh, you know, slow, I mean, low uh, pitch counts throughout the innings and such. He was really able to control the uh, opposing Somerset lineup. It's not the cleanest delivery. There's kind of some effort there. Um, but, hey, it has some, you know, kind of crossfire arm action that is obviously deceptive. The The hitters, you know, you could tell that the hitters, the ball was getting on them quickly, which was interesting because on the radar gun, the fastball was just registering 89, 91, but he was locating it, um, you know, superbly, uh, continually dotting like the outside corner against right-handers, you know, and, and he pitched in a way that that these a lot of these hitters were just surprised by this 90-mile-an-hour fastball. It was, it was really, you know, really something to watch. So he had nine... Uh, nine strikeouts total five of those were looking and four of them were on this you know this 90 91 fastball that again sort of by the gun or or by itself you're kind of wondering you know what why aren't why aren't the hitters uh catching up to this? Did you chuckle? Yeah. yeah i chuckle it's a very interesting profile so first off he has been a guy that i've been you know kind of champion behind the scenes since i saw him on an ESPN Plus uh, broadcast uh, against Fordham, he was pitching for Florida International. He's also a guy that uh, 
friend over at Prospect Live, Jeff, got to see at the Cape Cod League last year. And so, you know, between that video, the video that I saw, uh, you know, watching it live on ESPN Plus, it left a huge impression with me. And mostly because, A, uh, this is a guy that is listed six foot. I don't think he's six foot. Uh, Brent, do you think he was six foot? Uh, no, I think that's probably a fair assessment. He's probably uh, under five foot. He didn't necessarily look the six foot that he's listed on the on the roster. Yeah, so this is a guy that's a shorter stature guy, and he actually is thrown a little harder than when I saw him uh, in that game against Fordham. Uh, I think he's now throwing, you know, my reports had him, you, I think you had him a little lower than what I had him. I had him... Uh, averaging about 92 miles per hour on his fastball. So he's down, and you would expect that after a guy, you know, made his full season debut this year. Mm -hmm. uh, we're in August now. The most he's pitched this season, he's probably has more innings than he's ever had before, that kind of thing. So, yeah. like, this is the, the him being down, a, down some velocity at this point, but it's still up from when I saw him in – college uh, i think he was in the high 80s touching like maybe 90 91 uh mm -hmm. and now he's consistently you know average this year 92 uh, game that you saw i would say the average is somewhere between 89 91 uh so yeah. i guess 90 would be a, a good indication so yeah has grown stronger has gotten more velocity which is something in the cleveland organization that we've seen tons of pitchers right uh yeah. Uh, when we talked earlier, you mentioned how Shane Bieber found velocity. Uh, right. you know, so when, when we have a guy like this, I, I know that we've talked about this often, um, uh, maybe here, maybe maybe on the podcast, maybe you know in our chat rooms, maybe in our articles. But when you have a guy in an organization that is throwing maybe 90 miles per hour right now, uh, in an organization like Cleveland that – has added velocity to guys. Do you do you tend as an evaluator, Brent, to maybe play up that his future velocity is going to be a little more than what it is now? Well, I think that I think that's the thing that uh, you know, being in the Cleveland organization, like you said, uh, and with these uh, and with their propensity to kind of uh, develop these pitchers into more than what their kind of individual scouting profiles would say they would develop into, especially when we're thinking in terms of fantasy. I mean, and, you know, you can go you can down the list. You can say, you know, Aaron Savali, uh, Zach Plezak, and, of course, Bieber is the main one. You know, all, all these guys being able to kind of end up being more than what we thought originally, and especially in Bieber's case, that more is additional velocity. Mm -hmm. that, that kind of tends me to believe uh, it lends me to believe that that, that uh, Allen, you know, could be a good candidate for that. I mean, after all, this is, you know, he was drafted last year, 2020, so he didn't have any uh, game experience last year. This, as you said, is his first full, you know, first full season in the minor leagues. Uh, you, you could see very much a scenario where he goes and in the offseason shows up in, in Arizona in training camp, uh, you know, as a consistent low 90s guy, which, you know, then changes, uh, changes his profile uh, a great deal. Well, Brent already mentioned his fastball playing up a bit. And 
kind of want to go into that a bit. Uh, we're going to kind of deep dive with, with Logan Allen, if you haven't figured this out yet. Uh, uh, this is a guy that there's a reason why that 90, 89, 90, 91 fastball is playing up the way that it's playing up. And so earlier this year, we kind of talked about vertical approach angle, which is uh, something that's really been studied the last couple of years. There's some public uh, public articles that are out there. There's one on Prospects 365. There's one on uh, Prospects Live. Uh, you can find those links if you're a subscriber. And uh, article that I wrote uh, explaining this uh, when in my Reed Detmer's Xavion Curry, and I use Xavion Curry as my example for this. Xavion Curry is another Indians uh, pitcher, pitching prospect, who's actually in high A right now dominating, that utilizes a up uh, over-the-top uh, delivery and gets this, um, creates this ride. And uh, when we look at vertical approach angle, that's essentially the angle that the ball enters this, you know, enters the zone in. And if it's like negative, all right, so like all these numbers are in the negatives. Negative five would be like the axis. So anything below negative five or I guess above negative five, really. So negative five to, you know, zero, that's going to create, you know, those fastballs play better up and they're going to create a rise to them. Um, nobody can see my hand motions since this is a podcast. Uh, <laughs> and then if it's like, let's say somebody has a minus 7.2. That's going to be a good sinking two-seam fastball. Uh, so, like, this is a guy that has a rising fastball. And I, I, I don't have the exact number for this. Uh, but I do know that what makes him unique. So, most of these vertical approach angle uh, guys are, are – or ride guys, as I should call them. They're ride guys uh, with their four-seam fastballs tend to be over-the-top or high three-quarters guy. As Brett mentioned, this is a three-quarters uh, lefty here. Uh, so we're saying that he's under six foot. Um, yeah, I heard that like he delivers the pitch at about five foot two inches. So think about that for a second. When you're a hitter and you're used to seeing a rising fastball out of a high three-quarter slot, so let's we're, we're a over the top slot. So for like instance, Curry, who's listed at five eight, five nine, somewhere around there. Over the top, he, and again, I'm doing these hand signals that y'all can't see, that angle right there is like maybe at a six-foot release point. And so, like, guys are, you know, when they're seeing this rising action, they're, they're usually seeing it out of a, a delivery that's six-foot or higher, you know, out of the hand kind of thing. If a six-four pitcher's throwing that way, it could be at, like, six 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 seven. Uh, but this guy is slinging the ball at about five foot three inches from the left side. So if you think about that, think about a situational lefty back in the day. I, I know we don't have them anymore, which I think is a shame. Thank you, uh, micromanagers. Uh, but the thing that we've learned is like most of those guys relied on sinking fastballs. Think of the guys like Mike Myers, who like threw from that you know lower slot. From the left side, their their fastballs weren't rising fastballs; they were sinkers. And what makes this unique, and really and truly, I was looking for a comp, and the only comp I could think of was a really old comp, and this is going to outdate, you know, some of our. Uh, I guess it would be our over forty uh, fans. 
uh, on this, like myself, like Brent. Uh, Sid Fernandez, former Mets pitcher. Now, the delivery's not the same. Don't get me wrong. But if you remember Sid Fernandez, he threw a rising fastball from a sidearm delivery. And when Sid was on, he was one of the most dominant pitchers in the 80s. Now, there were a lot of games where Sid Fernandez was not on. But those games that he was on, when he, you know, like he just was phenomenal. Because that fastball was coming from an angle people weren't used to seeing it come from. And that was even in a time where we didn't have this launch angle uh, stuff. This was at a time when, when people were swinging and, you know, essentially chopping down on the balls as opposed to trying to get under it. You know, they're trying to get the sweet spot. They're trying to get, you know, nice line drive, maybe send something to the gap. Uh, we're talking now that this we're in an era where they're trying to lift the ball all the time. So a guy like this is really messing with the with the swing planes of all of these uh, hitters. So that's where the success is. So like, yes, in person with your eyes on it, it's not that impressive. But when you dig into this into the uh, numbers, and really truly, I'll tell you, everybody, the actual spin rate's not that impressive either. But it's how the pitch comes out and where it comes out from and what it does once it comes out of there. And that's where the whole effectiveness is. There is not another lefty like Logan Allen in baseball right now. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think, you know, along with that, uh, and you could say this probably for Fernandez also, is that uh, in general, Allen's ability to throw strikes and command those pitches, uh, especially, you know, especially the fastball, you know, exquisitely kind of where he wants it, uh, really plays a big part in that then too, uh, because it just adds to kind of the precision that he is able to pitch with. Um, you know, he, he also had a 77 to 80 slider, um, you know, that, that got, uh, you know, that had, was kind of more of a sweeper, uh, because of again him kind of throwing across his body, um, but it but it got some swings and misses, uh, and you know it would definitely you know it's definitely one of these things that's moving away from a lefty and he would throw it to a righty and kind of uh, back foot it and and get you know have it be effective on both for both uh, sided hitters. And he was also throwing a split change, uh, kind of in that seventy seven to eighty uh, range, you know, with a lot of a lot of drop and also. Um, getting some swings and misses on that too. So, I mean, you know, basically with that three pitch mix with being able to uh, command it all, um, you know, he had a couple walks. There were a couple times uh, where guys worked walks. I think he had two for that outing. But, um, but again, this idea that especially, like you say, that fastball coming from that slot um, that they're not familiar with, and a pitch type that they're not familiar with uh, really, uh, really backs up what I saw is that, is that a lot of these hitters, uh, you know, were just surprised and had not seen uh, something like that. Do you feel that his, uh, you know, the, those walks that he had, do you feel like he just didn't, like he was just off or was it a case where he just refused to get it, give in? Uh, I think it was more, 
where the latter that he kind of refused to give in that he uh believed in his stuff it wasn't it wasn't that he was missing uh badly in other words um you know there was some uh you know there was some, some good takes on both of those uh and both of those walks and the pitches were close and i and i and that seems to be uh you know it, it seems to be that rather than uh he was often you know, lost the slot and was uh, pulling it, whatever, glove side and all that kind of thing. Yeah. I had a friendly source. I'm going to say friendly source sent me his strike percentage data this year. And I was actually kind of surprised uh, by the limit. Like, I would figure that he was like a 70% strikeout guy overall. And really, truly, he's, and it's not that much off. He's probably, overall, he's probably at about 66%. Uh, strike rate uh and and so with a guy that is lauded for command when you see a strike rate like that you start thinking okay is this guy here just refusing to give in so that that is why i asked that question because yeah you know, i i had no like i said i saw him in college i haven't seen any any stuff today uh or this year i should say and this is the 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 strike percentage that i have is from double a yeah. It's from his, and, his games in double A. Yeah, and actually, I'm looking back. Uh, I should correct myself. He did, it just was one walk. Uh, okay. In that game too. It was like the second second batter uh, of the game. But as you you know, as you mentioned, I don't know if we mentioned, but you know, he he basically racked up nine strikeouts through you know, and was efficient seven and two thirds innings. Uh, as I mentioned, a bunch of those uh, had 93 pitches, 63 of them strikes. Uh, it, it just was a. It was really interesting to watch him uh, go through that lineup. The the contact when they did make contact, uh, there was you know almost all of it was was routine uh, routine outs. There was a couple two of the two of the hits by the same opposing player who obviously was a little more tuned in for whatever reason. Uh, we're we're well struck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the box score right now. It's Michael Feltre. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which is, He's having which a is, heck of a season too. Like I uh, know he is, I, but he I, <laughs> wow. No, and he yeah, and he nailed uh, both of those uh, with authority. But but everyone else, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, the other I'm ones. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you, Brent. Uh, uh, my note from Michael Beltre from last uh, from 2019 is kid looks like a ball player can't hit the ball with authority. That's right, like that's, this this stat line right now is like holy wow like uh, and then him being a lefty hitter doing that off of him because I'm sure he's I'm sure at this angle that Allen is not a picnic for a left handed hitter. Oh, I can't. I, I would have to agree with you. But yes, you're right. I didn't think about that. That Beltre is a is a big athletic left-handed guy. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, uh, he, he's always made contact. But like the the issue that I saw when he was in Chattanooga, and when I um, have seen him in other places, he's been in the Red. He was in the Reds organization. I think he signed as a minor league free agent with the Yankees. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like. It's always been a case of like you get very interested when you see him get on the field because he looks the part, right. uh, and then you look at the contact rate and it's a really good contact rate. Like he sees the ball really well, so I wonder if he's a sleeper. Um, you know, just throwing a little bit in there, right there. Um, <laughs> you never know that uh, you know it could be the Yankees are really good at covering 
uh, guys like this that you know may play a role on their roster someday soon. But let's get back to Allen um, <laughs> real quick. Uh, if there was anybody out there currently in the major leagues that uh, reminded you uh, of them when yeah. you saw Logan Allen, who who comes to mind for you? <laughs> it's very interesting. Uh, partway through the start last night, I was like, he reminds me of uh, current A's lefty Cole Irvin. Um, oh, wow. In that uh, similar similar build, um, and Irvin's a guy that I saw at Double A and Triple A when he was uh, with the Phillies uh, up until last year, um, and the same kind of thing. Like was efficient, worked his way through lineups, uh, hardly broke ninety miles an hour on the fastball. I don't I don't know I don't have any data or know as much as you do about the vert- the the launch the uh, approach angle stuff excuse me whether he fits into that or not but i i'm thinking of it more as like you know a three four pitch arsenal that he can command well and it's just uh gets out while you look at his individual pitches uh and there's and there's nothing that really stands out so i mean it seems to me that Certainly, at this point in his career, uh, just like as we said, this first uh, first year in the in the minors, that Allen certainly um, is advanced uh, at his current level, um, and is someone that could, uh, you know, we see, I would think, in another year or two, kind of slotting into the rotation. But I think the also the important thing for fantasy folks too is as, as for right now, anyway. I don't think this is someone that many um, many of your competitors are on or know about the fact of where he's at now, kind of the floor that he's at. And given that he's in the Cleveland organization with this uh, good track record of developing guys, uh, he could be certainly kind of a, you know, under the radar guy that could help in a couple of years. I'll be honest. He's a top 100 guy for me. Uh, the data uh, screams mid rotation starter. And uh, it seems like your eyes, we're calling this a floor of a, you know, maybe four or five starter. Uh, and to me, there's no reliever risk here. This is this is a four or five yeah. starter at the worst. At the yeah. best, this is maybe a, a low two, high three, maybe even a two starter. Uh, so, like, I, I feel like this guy is a top 100 guy. I can only think of maybe one pitcher in their organization that might be better, and that's Daniel Espino, uh, who's at high A right now. Uh, I guess Ethan Hankins possibly, but Ethan Hankins is out with Tommy John. He was he was sadly somebody that you would have gotten to see this year because he would have been at Double A. Uh, yeah. So like, I mean, we're talking about you know those guys are more power oriented pitchers. So uh, you know the Indians are trying to develop them in every shape and size. Uh, yeah. Well. I think it's a good time to transition to our next uh, next player, uh, which is another Indians prospect, uh, Brian Rocchio. Rocchio is actually a prospect I got to see on two different occasions during the 2019 season. First off in March uh, in a complex game, uh, spring training game against the Reds. And then I also got to see him playing for Mahoning Valley uh, around the All-Star break. Uh, I went to the Cleveland area to go and watch the Futures game in 2019, and I slid over to 
Mahoney Valley when I got in uh, from the airport and got to see Rokio and also another guy we'll be talking about on that same day, uh, George Valera. Uh, But first, when I covered him, really, I didn't really go into much detail. I said he was a uh, had a high in the sky slash line at the time, 300, 355, 425, which is a heavy contact type hitter, a uh, mm-hmm. high contact guy. And he was a he's switch hitter, and his speed bode, you know, really was bode well as toward his eventual worth as a fantasy asset. And I threw a comp on him, Brent. I threw a Jose Peraza, who was a right handed hitter. Uh, but like I threw a Jose Peraza comp. I had seen Jose Peraza as an 18 year old uh, playing mm-hmm. for Rome. And I'm sure our, our, our viewers, our viewers, our listeners are familiar with Peraza unless they just got in the game uh, this year. Uh, but Peraza, you know, kind of meddled around into a starting role for a long time. And he was a good source of stolen bases and, you know, a higher average uh, than that kind of cratered. Uh, and yeah. was never an on-base percentage guy. So I'm curious, uh, based on your look, has, have you know, I know it was only one game look, but uh, was he a little less aggressive? Uh, I, I, I could see he went two for five looking at the box score, but, um, you know, wh- what did you think of him? Yeah, I was fairly impressed. In his DP session, he showed a kind of a simple... Uh, balanced up the middle contact sort of smoke uh, stroke. Um, he's very smooth, kind of from really uh, a nice swing from both the left and the right hand size. And in the game, I got to you know I got to see uh, some of each. Um, started out uh, on as a right-handed hitter and and hit a home run actually on an 0-2 count in the in the first inning. Really, a uh, just a line drive kind of uh shot that kept going not no no big fly ball thing but really a uh you know a line drive home run and it it really confirmed what i kind of saw in bp that he has uh you know good line drive power i mean he pulled that one down the line he's not gonna you know he's not gonna make a living out of blasting it out the center field or anything like that you know he's he's a little bit of a smaller framed guy with thinner uh, you know, thinner shoulders and, and hips. And so there's, there's some room, uh, there for some strength, but he's kind of wiry strong now. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to probably be able to, like you said, he doesn't have big strikeout rates. Um, I think he'll be able to hit for some BA, you know, I think he'll be able to, you know, rack up something 12 to 15 home runs, uh, and some steals. I, I, I kind of, don't I don't know that he'll steal as much as uh, Jose Peraza. Um, but what was, else was really impressive was just how fluid he was on defense. Um, he was very athletic. Um, you know, his hands were really quick on the blood the ball transfer. He showed an above average arm. Uh, there was, you know, he had he showed great instincts. There was a sequence where there was a runner on first and. Uh, and the ball was hit to him at shortstop on a couple hops. And it was, it was, it was a faster runner, I think. So he knew he had to kind of uh, make a decision quickly. Um, and it was interesting. It, the ball was coming to him sort of in an in-between hop and he could either have uh, come in on it 
and tried to get the runner at first, but instead he uh, chose to kind of take a half step back, feel the ball, and and in kind of one motion flip it over to second and wow. and got the and got the lead runner. I mean, it was impressive physically that he could do that, but I thought it was also impressive mentally that he. You know, usually you see a guy when a ball's hit right at him and he backs up. I mean, that's bad news. You oftentimes, right? I mean, he's going to let. There's more likely he lets the ball play him. It clangs off, you know, or something. Um, but in this case, like he absolutely made the right decision of giving him space to field the ball cleanly, knowing that he could, uh, you know, make this quick underhand or quick sidearm flip the second and uh, to nail the the lead runner. So I, it's definitely, I see that. I saw uh, the fielding practice he was going through, the drills and stuff. Uh, he definitely looks to me like he's uh, able to stay at shortstop. And so I, you know, someone I thought about as a possible comp would be someone like, you know, maybe the, the current day version of kind of Jose Iglesias. Plays really good defense, uh, not the biggest guy in the world. Give you some average, uh, give you double digit home runs and and probably double digit steals for a couple of years at least. Yeah, it was just it, I was I was pretty impressed again off again off, just off this one game look on uh Rochio. I am I'll be honest, Rochio was a really hard guy during the off season because you know, we had reports come in about a lot of players, uh, some organizations better than others. Rochio was a guy that after the shutdown, headed over to Venezuela. And so Rocchio was, uh, because of, you know, the different COVID rules, uh, was unable to come back to the States. So, like, he would have been at the alternate training site, and then he would have been at extended spring training. He never was there. Uh, and what the weird thing was was that nobody was really concerned about him losing anything. They, they had that much uh, – uh, from from the people that I've heard from, they had that much confidence that he would, you know, he didn't need that that structure like a lot of other prospects needed. That he was yeah. a self starter, that he was already instinctful. It seems like he's improved. He's in Double A. He's twenty years old in Double A. Twenty years old, yeah. I mean, that's that's the other thing is, uh, you know, just how young he is. Uh, you know, to hear to know that background of him, what you're saying about the uh, him during the shutdown last year uh, and then to know that he's you know 20 years old they you know he had started out in high a uh in the midwest league for them uh hit 265 nine homers uh 14 steals uh and then moved up to they moved him up to akron july 30th i believe so he's been there uh just about four weeks and uh you know is hitting 270 with a 350 on base and uh, you know, good slugging percentage, five seventeen, uh, five home runs, five doubles. Uh so he's really uh you know, at, at that point in his career with how young he is, it's a uh it's a really interesting profile. Here's an interesting and, and this is something that you know, Brent might not be the best person to ask this question of. I might be just asking this question to myself, uh, <laughs> if that makes sense. I invite anybody, and it, I prefer it to be the Indians' top organizational uh, our organizational report from the offseason for Baseball HQ. But go to any prospect site and look up uh, their 
top 30 or top 15 or whatever. And tell me how many shortstops are there. There's an awful lot. So let's just break down real quick. I'm going to just break down, I guess, on my own here. Uh, since I'm the one that handles the Indians organization, and obviously, you know, you don't uh, – Brent only gets to see the guys that he gets to see. I've got to – if I don't see him, I've got to still cover. Um, but we've got in AAA, Gabriel Arias. We've got in AA on the injured list, uh, Freeman, uh, Tyler Freeman, who – um, is a well-known prospect that we also talked about earlier, right, yep. Brent? You saw him earlier this season. Uh, we correct. got we got Rocchio, uh, and we've also got uh, Gabriel Rodriguez. That's that's another name. Angel Martinez, M- Milan Tolentino. Like this is an organization with several shortstops that you know you can kind of see where. Where I'm going with this, they're they're looking at guys capable of playing the middle infield, and you know we talked about this with Freeman. They're accumulating these guys, and like someday, like with Jose Ramirez, where they played him at third and second, he came up as a shortstop. Right. Uh, they like guys that can play anywhere because if you play in the middle of the infield, obviously, or obviously you have athletic ability and you can play elsewhere. So. In my ranking, I kind of have I have Freeman because of the hit tool a little ahead of uh, uh, Rocchio, but I don't yeah. think they're that too they're too far apart. It sounds like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, especially no. with the age difference as well. Is Rocchio is like twenty? I forget what Freeman is. What he's he's a few years older than he is, yeah. and like those guys are for me above a uh, of Arius. Uh, who knows with Martinez? Martinez has been kind of a pop up. Uh, He's been the guy that has excelled, uh, even if the stat line's not necessarily stellar. Uh, he's he's the guy that's really popped up this year. So, like, this is an organization, like, you could have a little top 10 shortstops in this organization. Yeah. And, like, be legit, like, seven or eight of them are major future major leaders. Yeah. No, it's definitely, I mean, I mean, it's the way to go as far as building your team. Uh in real life, because, uh, you know, that some of these guys, uh, are, you know, may not be some of the, some of these guys are going to be better than others. Uh, defensively, some guys like Freeman, the bat is going to, ca- you know, carry the profile a little bit more, um, than that. And like you said, uh, oftentimes these are your most a- athletic players that can turn into outfielders, uh, you know, center fielders or corner guys. I mean, if circumstances warrant that, I mean, just just look now at, at Tatis, of course, Fernando Tatis uh, now playing mm-hmm. out the outfield uh, because of running into the injuries for for now, anyway. And and that that transition obviously is a lot uh, a lot easier for guys uh, with that athletic ability that uh, often in the lower you know throughout travel ball or coming up uh, playing uh, in another country or or wherever often get slotted into the middle infield like that. Well, Brian, we'll get back to the Indians look in one second, but there was a very similar player on the other side of the diamond at shortstop, uh, Oswald Peraza. I've had the Yankees coverage. Uh, I've never seen Peraza. I've tried to see Peraza several times, and it has never worked out for me, unfortunately, uh, during the 2019 season. So I, you know, when, when you've gone and seen Somerset this year, I've been always excited for to bring Oswald Peraza to this show. So 
Uh, take it away, man. Tell us what you know about <laughs> Oswald Peraza. Yeah, he's he's uh, pretty much the uh, the guy I'm most interested in when I've uh, gone up to Somerset uh, myself this this year. Um, he actually started uh, 2021 in Hudson Valley in High A. Uh, they moved him up in the beginning of June, June 8th or so, to Double A. <clears throat> He's a right-handed hitter. Uh, also listed at 60165. Um, He's one of these guys again will, you know, critique the roster listing. He's definitely more than 165. <laughs> uh, when when you when you put Peraza, for instance, next to uh, Rokio, I mean Peraza is definitely the a bit. You know, there's more there. Uh, he's he's not stocky in any way, but there's less wiry strength there and just more kind of uh, broad-shouldered strength. Now it's not. You know, it's not Aaron Judge broad shoulders, of course, but um, and it shows up in his bat. I mean, his his BPs that I've seen, uh, you know, he has a you know a leg a leg kick kind of trigger. In some ways, like Peraza has a simple direct load. Um, you know, it's really short to the ball. The swing's loose and athletic, uh, and is balanced, and it really shows up in in the carry again that you see i mean we, we have, i have talked about that as i've noticed it especially this year in you know watching different uh bps is how some of these uh players in batting practice the ball just carries more than what it seems like it should you know i mean they're whether it's they're not you know they don't look like they're swinging hard or it's just it's just going much further uh from a smaller framed guy, uh, which is sort of the case in Peraza's uh, instance, uh, it's just something I've noticed. And and you know, like uh, Rocchio, uh, he's Peraza's not going to be a huge home run hitter, but I do think that he, uh, you know, could you know he could end up being an eighteen to twenty home run guy. Uh, he bats from the right side, um, so he's not a switch hitter. But he also, you know, shows a lot of hard uh, kind of gap-to-gap contact uh, in BP and as well in the games. I mean, I've seen him, uh, you know, connect a couple times on uh, on home runs uh, in-game action. Uh, he has decent speed. Uh, I think, a t- you know, kind of a tick above average. He's not going to be a huge base stealer. But again, he's athletic enough that I think that that will be part of his game. Again, he's uh, at double a is, uh, 21 years old. Um, and is just what I've also observed during, uh, kind of some of those before game things is just seems really tuned in to extra instruction that the coaches have been given him both in the defensive drills, uh, as well as, you know, there was, there was one time where, uh, he took around the batting practice. I could see him conferring with someone behind the cage uh, in between and then actually took a second round. Uh, you know, I, it sure seemed like, you know, he was taking in ideas that the coaches were working with him, jumped in for a second round to kind of try to, uh, apply him, um, which, you know, you can't always say that's for sure what was going on, but, uh, kind of infers, I think that, you know, that he's a, he's a really interesting player trying to get better and is, you know, is teachable in that way. 
So I, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was so when I went to see Pulaski, which used to be the Appalachian League affiliate at the Yankees, uh, pour another one out for the Appalachian League. Those ones drinking beer right now because uh, the uh, Appalachian League is now a uh, college league, I believe. Uh, might be a semi-pro league, but that doesn't matter. Uh, I watched him do batting practice, and it was much of the same thing. Like he was, he was very in tune with the coaching staff then, uh, and that was three years ago in rookie ball. Uh, so yeah. I think that's very interesting that he's still that way. Um, yeah, it bodes well. Like I, I, and the one the one comment I really had was he had a short, compact swing. He had no strength at that time, so it's very good to hear that he is. Uh, at least driving the balls to the gap. It was kind of an imagination thing at that point. And I don't even remember if I had him in in our rankings that year. I might have had him uh, as one of those other guys that only appeared in the book. Uh, but I, you know, from what I saw, I liked what I saw. Unfortunately, I didn't have game action like you've had. But off of video, I've noticed that short stroke as well. And uh, I, I did notice harder contact. Um, in my little video look that I had this year. Yeah, and and from what I can tell, I mean, he plays shortstop adequately defensively. Uh, he wouldn't, in the games that I've seen so far, he's not as, as I would say, flashy kind of, as I was talking about with uh, um, Rokio. But uh, on the other hand, he's made the plays he's needed to. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, I think he could possibly stick there uh but certainly some other you know other infield positions would be uh possible too depending on how you know how the bat actually uh develops if it you know if it continues to develop further well i think that's interesting with peraza i think we are ready to move on and i would even say this is the grand attraction of our podcast this week uh <laughs> which is George Valera, an outfielder, a lefty hitter uh, with the Cleveland organization. George Valera was a guy that I saw in Arizona. Actually, uh, our friend uh, Welsh uh, over Chris Welsh at Prospect One uh, was the first person that told me about George Valera. He lives in Goodyear, Arizona. Uh, for those uh, here that listen to Prospect One, he is at that complex in Goodyear, seeing a lot of Cleveland and Cincinnati prospects, he gets around Arizona, of course, the other places, but those are the easiest for him to see. And he just loved the kid. The kid has a great attitude, all that good stuff. Uh, and I got to see him. That was really kind of my primary reason I went over to Goodyear in 2019 to, to see that complex was to see George Valera. Uh, and I was able to also see him in that same trip with Mahoney Valley. And the one thing that I really took away from my look at him was his extreme raw plus plus power to all fields. Uh, and I got to actually see a home run that he hit and all that kind of stuff. My one big fear about him was his hit tool. Uh, and he struck, he struck out a bunch uh, in, in, you know, his debut. And from what I heard at the alternative site, he was having problems with contact as well last year. So Brent, what did you see? I know it was only a one game look, uh, but I mean, he did go two for five, it looks like. So there's, uh, there's some impressive, uh, impressiveness, I believe, uh, uh, that you were able to see. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it starts with a kind of a slightly open stance. And the thing I notice is there's a lot of kind of pre-pitch movement, you know, both in batting practice and in the game. Um, you know, he, get, he gets to the ready position, but it's, uh, but it's uh, uh, just a lot of movement to clean up. So in some ways, I can see that uh, where in some cases, uh, you know, he could be susceptible to a lot of swing and miss. It does look like, you know, looking back on his, that line, um, you know, in 2019, there was a lot of there, a, lo- a lot of that, uh, you know, in 51 games, he struck out 61 times. Um, but this year uh, has cleaned that up some. Um, and and in what I saw, he, he did strike out uh, in his first at bat. But then his last four at bats, um, even though even though just two of them were hits, were um, singles. Uh, pretty much all four of them were really uh, hard hit. Um, there were he pulled two singles. One was off the uh, off a first baseman's mitt, and the other one was uh, you know just a solid shot line drive into right field. Uh, one of the uh, the one he hit into a fielder's choice that also went off like the first baseman's glove and was, was a three four six force out. <laughs> Went over to the second baseman who shoveled it over to uh, shortstop, but that was hard hit. And then really the most impressive of that was in the second, uh, the second, his second time up uh, where he took a two, two, he was at two, two and um, took a 92 uh, fastball on the outer half and really drove it to um, the left field. It ended up being right to the left fielder and was a line out, but it was one of those, it was one of those really hard outs. And the fact that he was, uh, able to uh, to cover that outside part of the plate, you know, at, in that count, in a 2-2 count, I think kind of backs up what you're saying about the all-field power that that, uh, mm-hmm. that he has. The other, the other thing uh, in batting practice in his last round, uh, you know, there's a big uh, video board in right center field, uh, one of these high uh, things, and in his last round, yeah, he uh, clanked one off high off that video board. Uh, and, you know, you, you can see in, in batting practice the, the raw power he has. Um, really, the bat speed, too, is what stood out to me. It's really plus bat speed, which I think, you know, can make up for a lot of that uh, pre-pitch movement um, and getting in, getting in that ready position. I mean, it was really a, uh, really a gift to be able to see him. Uh, he just got called up. This was just his second game. Uh, in double A, just got called up uh, on that Monday before uh, before I saw him on that Wednesday. Um, so uh, you know, after a pretty successful run uh, in High A, uh, 63 games there, uh, it looks like he'll finish out the rest of the year um, here in Double uh, A with Akron. I am so so. Kind of explain a little bit of my process this off season. I. I might have weighed a little too much at the alternate site. And, uh, you know, especially with these young hitters like George Valera, I mean, we didn't really know. We didn't have a blueprint on how to how to scout this offseason. I know a lot of people, yeah. we, we put out content. Like, we put out a book still. It was an ebook, but we put out an ebook. Um, it was It was difficult. And I know Brent can attest to that as well with his organizations, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just uh, not having those game reps, uh, 
either for yourself to see or for the contacts that we work with to see. Best thing I can say is that a year ago around this time, we were trying to make <laughs> that decision as far as how to approach uh, the minor league baseball analyst book for sure for uh, this 2021 season. And we basically came to the idea of basically using the 2019 season, which ended up in the 2020 book. That's kind of our baseline uh, for our evaluations. And so it, it definitely changed uh, how we normally do that, uh, where we were just going to be writing about what changes we could find. And of course, the big challenge, as you and I have said, or as you mentioned, is that, uh, you know, the only the only info we could get in most cases were from the teams themselves about their own players yes. and their own alternate sites. Um, so uh, trying to uh, be smart and kind of read between the lines uh, there, knowing that uh, everyone loves their own prospects and, and doesn't want to, it doesn't one doesn't want to have anything negative and, about them showing up in the press. And uh, that's one of, and that's one of the things that I look at with, with Valera is, you know, some of the things I did here weren't that positive. The reports I got were not from anybody in that organization. It was mostly just people telling me, like, it just wasn't, uh, like, he was, yes, the power was there and stuff, but the hit tool was was very questionable. Uh, and granted, he was going against some more advanced guys than he was used to, probably mostly guys at the level that he's at now. So it's, yeah. it'll be interesting to see if he can continue these gains, the, the cut down on the strikeout rate since he's been a double A. But, like, I'll be honest, I, I was wrong. I think that he might now be a top 50 prospect. Yeah, uh, with the swing and that bat speed, uh, lofty gets on the ball. I uh, I think that's right. Um, but, yes, it's still, it, it's still, you know, is to be determined, right, uh, if mm -hmm. that how – what kind of strikeout level – uh, he settles at, I think, and how that, uh, you know, affects, uh, obviously his batting average and the, and the chances he gets for, uh, home runs and RBIs. So. And he faced our friend Luis Medina, right? No, actually, uh, Medina was originally scheduled to go, but instead, uh, when I got to the park that day, they announced that Ken Waldachuk was, oh. uh, throwing a lefty. Um, but anyway, you well, this satisfies, your... right? This satisfies the whole Luis Medina um, mention on every episode, right? Exactly, it does. Okay, so, good. Uh, all we're good, good there. We're good there. This is a great time to to transition to another. Uh, I almost said Yankees prospect, an Indians prospect, Bo Naylor, who has not had the best season and uh, was the one guy that I put up in my work reports this year that I kind of elevated a little bit higher than everybody else that has just not performed. And yeah. like, I watched him in uh, spring training at bats. I even wrote them up this year. I, I'll be honest, Brent, I didn't expect this to happen. Uh, I really was pushing this guy. I think I pushed him as our number one Indians prospect. And I really, really have an egg on my face right now. Uh, yeah. Because it, it I mean, yeah, I know, but I like dismissed every every trick that we've always learned to just not trust catchers. And uh, here I am. I trusted a catcher, and uh, it, it it hasn't worked out. Thankfully, 
Thankfully, nobody's giving me any uh, junk about this, but I'm sure I'm going to get it soon. Or, or they just didn't listen to me. They probably know I'm catcher biased since I played catcher in high school. Uh, but anyway, uh, I know that you've gotten several looks at Naylor this year. Um, let me know what you got. You know you, what you think. I, I, you saw him at the Futures game. You saw him in June, and you saw him in August. Correct? Yeah, um, and it's really interesting uh, as I was thinking about that last night after my look um you know here in august uh to go through that progression just quickly um <clears throat> i saw him you're right in june uh in a game that akron was playing uh at Bowie, uh where i got a look at where he was facing uh, grayson rodriguez so obviously uh you know facing a, a very uh you know a top a top prospect pitcher um and i got to see batting practice that day and was impressed by the bat speed and uh, my notes say took batting practice with conviction. You know, he's peppering some opposite field liners. Um, you know, was was doing uh, just just had a just had a decent uh, BP. And at that time, he had you know had gotten off to a slow start, um, but he was one for four in the game. Uh, in that game, had a couple solid shots to the opposite field. I have some notes about whether. You know whether he's able to get around and and actually have the full power he needs to. He definitely and you know that he I definitely have a note too that he swung a lot. Uh, you know that he even though he was hitting uh, 148, he was swinging at a lot of stuff, and so maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe he needed to tame that down a little bit. Um, on defense, he was aggressive. Uh, back picked the guy off first and one inning. You know, it had a strong arm and showed good mechanics uh, for that. And I always, you know, you always like to see, you know, that part of aggression on defense. So that that was the first look I got at him. Look, I got at him. Uh, and then in the futures game, uh, I noted that you know he had a decent BP. Uh, I thought, and I wrote actually in a in an article for the site that uh, you know he looked like he might have been close to breaking out at that time. Uh, it was hitting. He was still right around the Mendoza line, 201. Um, the batting practice wasn't fantastic, but, but I still like the, um, you know, his aggressive swing, uh, and all that. And I think he got one, one at bat in the game, something, uh, like that. And, but then when I saw him here in August, um, it just was, uh, totally different. His batting practice looked really tentative. Um, you know, like he was guiding the bat to the ball you know, kind of focusing up the middle. Uh, it's really, you know, as I used that his, he uh, had his June batting practice with conviction, uh, this didn't look like that at all. It looked like a hitter that was kind of lost and just trying to refine his stroke somewhere. Uh, and maybe that was by design. Maybe he's worn out because, uh, you know, because he's, he's still under the Mendoza line. He's hitting 186. But it was definitely something that stood out to me, um, you know, that he looked like this player that was uh, struggling. So he was in the game. He was over two with two walks and kind of on the other end of what I saw in June. You know, he saw 18 pitches over four bats and swung at three of them. Um, he did take two walks, but but he, he wasn't swinging much <laughs> yeah. at all. Uh, and when he was, the, the contact was not hard. Uh, and even in the field, there were two stolen bases against him. Uh, neither one were competitive throws from him. 
uh, you know, the pop times were high above two. I mean, it didn't, it didn't look like a, yeah. it looked nothing like, uh, what he looked like in that June note that wow. I had. Um, so, so it was really interesting. I, you know, he has nine home runs, but 91 K's and in 253 at bats. And it just made me wonder, you know, could he, could there be some sort of injury at this point that he's really just kind of taking it easy? Uh, is he just exhausted mentally and physically from, from how the season has not gone well and the effort level is waning or, you know, or is it something else? It was just, uh, I just thought it was fascinating to think about, uh, this kind of these things that I saw at him from different months, uh, in very short looks, uh, over the course of the season. So one of the things that I'm going to point out is when we were looking at him during the off season, when I was looking at him during the off season, I should say, these are kind of the things that I was, uh, I was hearing. And then hmm. these are the things that I was seeing in um, spring training. So this kid's always been a very patient kid to the point that uh, like almost too patient. So the fact hmm. that he has gone back to that, in your look, uh, your mm-hmm. last look, where yeah. he took two walks, 18 pitches, I think you said, over four bats. Uh, yeah. That right there tells me he is trying to set a push reset. So this kid barely swung at pitches out of the zone. Like, it, like unbelievable rate um, at the yeah. alternate training site and prior to that, okay? So, That's like, what they – what they wanted from him was they wanted him to be more aggressive in the zone. And that's what we saw on spring training. We saw a guy that was driving the ball, that was just absolutely tattooing the pitches. And that was in spring training on the minor side, which I didn't get to see, but also like what we got to see on video. And while he did struggle a bit there, uh, you did see some of those potential breakout things. And unfortunately it has all been for naught. Um, I think that he sounds like a hitter that is in his head right now. Yeah. I also believe that he's also dealing with the with some sort of ailment of some sort. Because this this is what I wrote. Naylor is a better athlete than most behind the dish. Okay, so like when he came out of high school, most guys said like he was a third baseman. Like a lot of teams didn't have him as a catcher. But mm-hmm. he like climbed uh during his single A season as a 19 or 18 year old, 19 year old, 20 year old, I forget what age, but he became the third best framer in all of single A. And then he had this awesome catch throw skill above average that some projected out to be plus. Uh, So like, this is a guy that was like, you know, had made himself in the catcher. So you like know that this guy is a worker Uh, and uh, something like it's almost to the point where you wonder if he's worked too much, because yeah. uh, there is such a thing. Like I remember that um, one of the concerns when and you can tell a Mets fan because of course I'm bringing up Mets again. Uh, yeah. David Wright, you know that was one of the concerns with him coming up. But uh, when he would slump, sometimes he would draw himself into a bigger slump in the minor leagues because like they would tell him, you know, you just need to clear your head kind of thing. You, yeah. It's not something to just work out and stuff. And then finally he found that balance where you can work hard and then clear your head. Now, mind you, he never had a struggle that Bo Naylor has had. Uh, yeah. But, like, this is a common theme with a lot of prospects that, that tend to be workers, that they yeah. don't figure out, and especially a guy that has been known for his eye. 
and that they're yeah. trying to get him to be more aggressive because like I'll be honest, uh, the the data that I came across and and the valuations I came across from last season, he was hitting the ball and launching the ball at the same rate George Valera was, but he was making a lot better, a lot more consistent contact. Granted, he's an older player and stuff, but like yeah. I, that's why I elevated him over Valera was because. Even though he was a catcher, I believe that all of those tools and and how I saw him work his way into becoming a you know a top prospect, yeah. like I really felt like he was like maybe the third best catcher behind Rushman and Bart. I mean, I could have made a uh, our friend Alvarez with the Mets. I could have made an argument with him, but like yeah. uh, you know, I was still a little tentative going out on the limb with him, uh, you know, on Francisco Alvarez, uh, right. uh, in, in the off season. Now, obviously Alvarez is past, uh, Bart and, and, you know, uh, with Gabriel Moreno and a few other guys might be, you know, top the guy right after, um, uh, Adley Rushman. But like, I, yeah, I don't know what to think. I don't know if I ding Bo Naylor this off season too much. I feel like I've got to, but like, I mean, it just comes to the fact that like in, in shorter formats and in, in smaller, you know, the less roster length with the, the minor leagues, catchers are just not rosterable <laughs> until they're in yeah. big leagues. And, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to gamble on him on, on a, in a minor system with 20, 20 slots in it or 25 slots in it. Uh, but, like, it's just – it's hard to – you know, he's out of my top 100. I, 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 can't, I can't reasonably put him there. And, you know, I might move his MLBA grade down to an 8, and it might only be an 8D. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just very hard to trust this. Yeah, uh, the season, I, and from what you saw, it's it's, yeah. it's very concerning. Yeah, it's uh, but it's you know, on the other hand, it's very interesting to give to have you give the perspective of he's naturally uh, a more patient hitter, and they wanted him to be more aggressive. Uh, you know, I I liked that <laughs> aggressiveness. I mean, I liked the swing uh, that I saw in June, even though. You know, even though he was struggling, and that's what made me think, even when CNN in, in July that he was uh, going to pull through that because I thought the the swing was, uh, you know, solid enough. But it is, it is, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to hear to hear that narrative uh, with what I saw this year on Naylor. And yes, I mean, catchers catching is is so difficult. Uh, and and trying to project these minor league catchers into kind of major league fantasy assets uh, is a uh, is quite the quite the tough task for sure. How do you handle the catching position? Uh, you know, I, I I mean, we never really talk. Uh, you know, HQ we don't talk about our own stuff, but I feel like on the podcast we could we could talk <laughs> about that. Um, and you're you're in a dynasty. Yeah, I think you and Jock uh, manage a team together, correct? Yeah. Yep. Um, like, yeah. I, I don't know how many slots on that dynasty team you have, but like, uh, and, you know, I don't want you to give way too many of your secrets, but like, how do you, 
how do you manage the catching position? Do you wait until they're like in double A or triple A yeah. or wait until their major league debut or something like that? Yeah, I usually, I mean, it depends, it depends, uh, <clears throat> because I'm, I sort of, I still have hope that like, you know, it's so valuable when you can find that catcher that can really, uh, show it with the bat, <laughs> uh, Me you know, too. That, that gives you so much more of an advantage that way. Uh, in this one dynasty league, yes, that Jock and I are in, it's just a one catcher league. We, we haven't rostered at all any, any catching prospects. Uh, I don't think for the four or five years that we've done that. Uh, no, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. We, we drafted Zach Collins when he came out of school. Ooh. Yeah, I know. That's, we all have those stories. Yeah, we do. Again, we do. and we held on to him for a couple of years and then, uh, let him go. But for the most part, we, I, we just don't use with only one catcher. There's always been, you know, usable guys or pop-up guys available on the wire any given week if, if our one catcher gets hurt kind of thing. I have two quick ones here. I held on to Mitch Garver for a very long time, uh, and it, it paid out for me. Uh, it yeah. worked out great. Uh, and then my other one, just to, just to throw some more shade on Zach Collins, uh, I think it was the 2017 First pitch Arizona event might have been 2018ers. Uh, and for those who've been to first pitch, uh, I would say I'm going to say like there, there's scouts everywhere kind of thing. But sometimes a scout will come in on the prospect chat. Uh, uh, we have a few scouts that are friends with uh, with with the conference. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm I'm standing there, and there's three there's three pro scouts in the room. Uh, that just happened to be in there. And I was like, why are they even listening to us? It's, uh, it was Emily from, uh, from Baseball America and Eric from Fangraphs and myself. And I got on this like tangent about Zach Collins not being good. Uh, <laughs> like I just ripped him bad. Like, like he had done something to my family. And I really felt bad about it. It was just kind of crazy. You know, I, I, I always thought that there was a role for him, uh, so like I guess he's in that role for him, which is kind of the up down type uh, type yeah. player. But anyway, uh, you know we all make those mistakes. Uh, I I try to if I if it's a like a one catcher league, I'm I'm very apprehensive of holding on to a catcher for a long time. Uh, in in multiple catcher leagues, then then I'm definitely uh, a sucker for a catcher prospect, and yeah. I'm always looking for the offensive guy. Uh, you know, and I, there's every time I think about this, I was like, it always comes back, trust your instinct. And it's always comes back to JT Real Mudo. You know, I saw him when he wasn't really a top prospect. He never was a top prospect. Mm -hmm. But like, I was like, this guy's so athletic and he has great ball, bat to ball skills. And yeah. like, I didn't trust myself. I, even when I wrote him up for Rotoscouting, I didn't trust myself. And so, like, every time I go back to that, and then then it will come into my mind, I also love Christian Betancourt. And, you know, yeah. he's best known for being a catcher-pitcher, you know, in his yeah, few, right. uh, few states of the minor, in the major leagues. So, like, you just never know with catching. Anyway, uh, to get off of that little tangent, uh, we've got to get to the upcoming schedule this week for us. And I've got live looks at White Sox prospects next week. 
once I return from Chicago. So I'll get Chicago White Sox on Sunday, which is, I guess, two days after this will publish or two days before this will publish. And then I'll have White Sox when I come back uh, to Georgia. Uh, it's a down farm system after several recent graduations. Uh, and I have to say that because like anytime I say somebody has a down farm system like the White Sox, White Sox fans will come right at me and go, well, everybody just graduated. And like, yeah, I understand that, but it's still a down farm system. Double uh, A and high A are both in town. So double uh, A will be playing in Chattanooga. High A will be playing in Rome. So the big get here is uh, Yoquai Cespedes. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, the younger brother, Yoannis Cespedes, who is at Double A, where Double uh, A Birmingham. Um, I'd like to also get a look at a kid named Jose Rodriguez. But I'll be honest, I know absolutely nothing about. He's a shortstop at High A, and he's one of the only overachievers in the system. And uh, again, go look at a top 15, top 30 on any site, not even just, we prefer ours, but on any site and just look at this organization and look at how uh, most of these prospects have been trending this year. And Jose Rodriguez is one of the few offensive bright spots here. So yeah. uh, it, it's, it's a, it, Brent, it's a very weak one and I'm not will- looking forward I'm not looking forward to writing this up for minor league baseball analysts next year. Yeah. Well, I will say, uh, you know, if you go, if you go to batting practice and uh, you're looking for Yolecki, Yolecki Cespedes, uh, and it's one of those times where they don't have numbers on the back of their jerseys or anything, you'll be able to tell uh, which one he is. His, uh, B, his BP looks just like his brother. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. So, so Brent, what do you got on tap this week? I've uh, likely got a triple-A week. Um, you know, I'll have to see what the pitching rotations work out. Um, I've got two chances. Uh, Buffalo's coming into, which is Toronto's coming into Scranton, uh, which is the Yankees, and Syracuse, which is the Mets, is coming into Lehigh Valley playing the Phillies. Uh, I think my other option is Jersey Shore and Aberdeen, uh, which I've both seen a bunch of times already. Uh <laughs> So it'll likely be a triple A week for me. So maybe, you know, maybe there'll be uh, some double A guys that get bumped up so I can get another look at or an interesting uh, pitcher or two for one of those four. Yeah. Um, we'll have to we'll have to see what it's like. Um, waiting for the week after when I've got uh, much better choices to to uh, check out. So of course that that Buffalo. Uh... Scranton Wilkesboro matchup is probably the better of you know you'll have you'll have a better chance of finding a gem maybe there probably, as opposed yeah. to Syracuse and and Lehigh Valley. Um, yeah, uh, I mean I you know being a, a recovering Mets fan, I, I do know what that AAA. You can just imagine what that AAA team looks like <laughs> right now if the major league team is playing the way it does. Um, yeah. I mean we we can draw conclusions by just by just that. So exactly. uh, looking forward to your takes, Brent. Yes. Well, it's been a good show, Chris. I appreciate uh, the back and forth here on uh, the guys I saw this week uh, in, in that Akron uh, Somerset matchup. And as always uh, appreciate your uh, feedback and uh, interjections with what, uh, what you've known about them for sure.
You did well up. this week, Brent. I'm just going to say you did really well this week. Uh, wow. Uh, kudos. We're going to clap right now and not being sarcastic either. Uh, because, like, going into this, we did not know what this was going to look like. And uh, Brent carried uh, carried the discussion on and got me to points where I could talk about these guys since I wasn't able to go see anybody. And I was mostly unconscious sleeping Uh any sort of prep time that I was able to have during the week. So thank you, Brent, for for what you've brought to this episode. This of week. course, Chris, <laughs> we we hand we handle this together, my man. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do a damn good job too. <laughs> As always, we thank our listeners for tuning into this episode of The Eyes Have It. You can contact us uh, via email at the Eyes Have It at baseballhq.com. We'd love to answer listener questions. Uh, you can also. Reach out to us on Twitter. You can find Chris at C underscore blessing. I am at Brent HQ. And we thank you for subscribing uh, to us on Apple Podcasts. And if you get the chance to rate and review us on your preferred social media uh, app, please do that. Chris, we will catch you next week and uh, talk more prospects. Yes, there's always more prospects to talk. And, uh, I hope everybody has a good week, and Brent, you have a good week as well.